offer you a good morning, a warm welcome as we meet um, on this Lord's Day to worship and to praise and to be taught by our God. A welcome whether you're joining us online. It's good to be here, isn't it? It's good to be together. Now today we are returning back to Luke. John is preaching from Luke 22 in a run-up to Easter. Now if you had said to me, well we just passed Christmas, and three months before Christmas, if you said it's Christmas in three months, I'd have gone, oh. But with Easter, the events of Easter are such a key part of our lives as Christians, isn't it? You know, every day we remember what Jesus has done on that cross. So I'm looking forward to, John, as you take us and Mark through that series in, in Luke and run up to Easter. Jesus said, didn't he, in the Gospel of John in chapter 9, he said, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for my sheep. And that leads us into our first song, our first hymn, which is the king of love, my shepherd is, whose goodness fails me never. Now when we get to the next line, I'd like you to read it carefully. I nothing, I nothing lack if I am his. And the challenge is, are you his? And as we, as we sing this song, you know, we can see in this song the provision that he gives us if we are his through life. The security through the dark times that he gives us if we are his. And then that eternal home, that eternal life in heaven if we are his. And there's a challenge for us if we are not his. Let's stand and sing.
Well, if you can open your Bibles or look on your phones, we are going to read from Luke 22, and it will appear on the screen on the wall behind me. Our reading is Luke 22, verses 1 to 23. So we are, well, Jesus is in Jerusalem. And we are at the point just before the Passover. 22 verse 1. Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how they to put him to death, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, who was of the number of the twelve. And he went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad, and agreed to give him money. So he consented, and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of a crowd. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. And they said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? And he said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters, and tell the master of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room? Where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it, just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, he reclined at table, and the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you, do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be who was going to do this. Amen. Well, the children's talk is after our, our next hymn. Tony's doing the children's talk, and we're going to stand and sing, Man of Sorrows, Lamb of God, by his own betrayed. The sin of man and wrath of God has been on Jesus laid. Let's stand and sing.
Good morning. Good to see you all. Now, I've got a picture to show you. Now, what do you think? What looks, what do you think about that picture? What do you notice on that picture? Anyone tell me something they notice? Go on then. That there's something on his head. What's on his head? Go on then. Some sort of a hat, yes, he's got some sort of a hat. Then what's on the front of him? What do you think that is? Yeah? It's not a light, no? Yeah? It's not a camera, and it's a sol- he's a soldier, you can see he's a soldier, and a camera would make a lot of sense. Shall I tell you what it is? It's a box. What's he doing with a box on his head? Do you know what? If you had a, a picture of all of him, you'd find he got another box on his arm. And if you went to his house, you'd find another box tied to the doorposts on his house. See, he, he's, he's a Jewish man. And he's doing what God told his people to do many years ago. I was reading it in my Bible reading this week. And God had said to his people, I don't want you to forget me. He said, I've taken you all out of Egypt. I've rescued you, but I'm worried you're going to forget me. So I've given you these ten good commands. And I want you to remember them. And I want you to tie them on your forehead Fix them on your arm, fix them on your house, so you don't forget these ten good commandments. And most importantly, you don't forget God. So, I'm wondering. I want you to put your hand up if you think you know at least one of those ten commandments. I've got a few people who think they know one. Right, can you put your hand down if you think you know more than one? Okay, right, Katie, you have been chosen to tell us the one that you can think of. To love each other. Well, do you know what? In the ten, to love each other is a summary of the second half. So God, he he sort of summarised it. One half is... One beginning bit is about loving God. The second half is about loving each other. And he's got some things that we can do. Has anyone got an idea? Anyone else got an idea? Yes, Jess. That's a good summary of the second half. Pardon? Don't steal. Thank you. That is one of the, in the second half. Now, I need to find it, don't I? Do you think you could hold that up so everyone can see it? And what number is it? It's number eight. So you go along that way a bit and hold that up. Anyone else got one? Yes. Ah, honour your father and mother. Do you want to hold one up? No? Someone else? Yes, got you hold that one up. Right, if you move that way a bit, and then you stand there and hold that one up. Uh, got any more? Yes, Finn. Uh, flow. Keep the, Keep the Sabbath holy. That's number four. 
Someone want to hold number four up for me? Me. Go on then. Uh, anyone else got any more? Goldflame. Don't murder. You shan't murder anyone. Someone want to hold that one up? Yeah. Don't worship idols. Don't worship idols. Well done. Anyone holding this one? Do you want to hold it? And I'll tell you what, give, you hold it, and I think you've got another one you can give me, haven't you? Yes, or do you just want to hold it? Just want to hold it, that's fine. Go on, Jess. You're there, you're there. You must have no other gods before me. Yeah, that was the one, wasn't it? God, no, no. Well, how many have I got left? I've got four left. Oh, what do you think you can get? Get one. Uh. Do you know what? I think I need, I, I think we need to, to ask some help, don't you? For these four. Who do you think we should ask? See if they can uh, give me another one. Anyone got any suggestions? Oh, yeah, go on. The parents, all of them. I'll tell you what, I'm going to start with the young people in the gallery. Can I have a t- one of the missing commandments from the gallery somewhere? Do not murder. Do not murder. I think we've got that one. <laughs> Any more? Oh dear. Maybe we ought to ask a parent. I think, I, th- I think, uh, do not covet. That's brilliant. That sounds a very young parent. <laughs> <laughs> Could somebody hold this one up? It says, what covet? Yeah. What covet means is wanting something that somebody else is. Yeah. Jude, you had one. Don't lie. Yeah, you mustn't tell lies about your neighbour in court. Right, I've got two more left. Do I have any volunteers for the two that are missing? Adultery. Adultery. You mustn't, that means you mustn't cheat or your husband or your wife if you're married. Do you like to hold that one? And last but not least. Do I have anyone can tell me? That's right. You mustn't use your name of the Lord your God thoughtlessly. You can see why God wanted them to have them fixed in their minds and to be living by them. Because we're so easy forgetting God, aren't we? So, let's see if we can remember what God wants and try and live by these good commands. Now, who's got number one? Can you give that back to me? Because number one says, you must not have any gods before me. Let's remember that. Who's got number two? Flint, thank you. This says, we mustn't make any idols of God. Because God's so great, we can't make a picture of him. I've got number three, which is, you must not use the name of your God thoughtlessly. So when we talk about our great God, we must remember him. Who's got number four? Thank you. That's keeping the Sabbath day special, free from work. Thank you. Number five. Thank you. Honour your father and your mother. Six. 
You mustn't murder anyone. Seven. You must not be guilty of adultery. Eight. Brilliant, thank you. You must not steal. Nine. You must not tell lies about your neighbour in court. And number ten. You mustn't want to take anything that belongs to your neighbour. Now, see if we can remember those. It's all right, I'm not going to test you. (laughs) You can go back to your seats now. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Tony. Well, let's, let's come to our God in prayer, shall we? Let's bow our heads and our hearts as we pray to him. Almighty God, Heavenly Father, we ask that as we come to you in prayer that you would help us to bow our, our hearts and our minds. We pray that you would keep us from distracting thoughts, And anything that would take away our focus from you. We ask that just as you gave those ten commandments to the Israelites at the foot of Mount Sinai. So that they would remember you. We pray that in our hearts, your law is written on our hearts. That we would remember you in our lives. And we we join with Zechariah when he said for... How great is your goodness and how great is your beauty. And we over this past week have had some clear night skies which show the wonder of your creation in the stars. We've had some beautiful sunrises, the colours of the skies, the sunrises, which point to your great beauty as our creator. And Lord God, we... We thank you for your beauty. We pray that in our hearts we would see it more. We pray that you would strengthen us in our love to you to see your beauty greater and from our lives. And Father God, we, we thank you that your goodness is so great. And as we sang in our first hymn this morning, your goodness never faileth. It lasts forever for all those who know you as their saviour. And that's where we see your goodness when you looked down and you saw that those children of Israel couldn't keep your Ten Commandments, when you look down and see that we can't keep and live the way that you want us to, so you provided that way where we can have forgiveness through you, in your goodness for us and to us, the Lord Jesus was willing to come down and to die on the cross and to take the punishment for any of us who would come and ask for forgiveness. And we thank you for that. We look back over this week and we thank you for your goodness to us. None of us are hungry. None of us are without clothes. None of us don't have a place to live. We thank you for that goodness. We thank you for the way that you help people when life is difficult. We thank you for your goodness there. Some people have had a really tough week. And we pray for them, we commit them to you, and ask that they would look to you for strengthening. And Lord, you tell us in your word to cast 
our cares and concerns onto you. Lord, you remember when you were human. You saw and experienced and felt the pain that we did, which is why we can bring these things to you, to you because you have such an understanding of them. And Lord, as we look into the future, we pray that we would commit our ways to you, that we would bring those things that burden us to you. Lord, we pray that we would join with the writer of Ecclesiastes and Proverbs in asking that we would have that right fear of you, which leads to wisdom, and that wisdom would affect the way that we live our life. We pray that you would save us from worldly wisdom. Lord, we see the evidence of worldly wisdom all around us. We see the evidence of worldly wisdom with the way our politicians lead us. But we know that you are a wise God, that you are a wise Father, and you have told us that if we lack wisdom, we just have to ask you for it, and you'll give it to us. But we know that the fear of the Lord is the start of wisdom, and we pray that that's where our lives Lord, would be led. Father God, we ask for those who are in hospital at the moment. Lord, we, we pray for Margaret Payne, help her. Lord, we pray for Jade in the latter stages of her pregnancy. We pray you be with her and with Josh. Lord, we commit Anne May to you and Jackie. They've been in hospital for a week now. Lord, we ask that you would strengthen them, be with them. And Lord, may they lean on you as their rock. May you be their source of all strength. And Father God, we, we thank you that the children have been in Sunday school. We thank you that they have come and heard your word, that you have been taught to them. But what we ask is that your Holy Spirit would change their lives. We pray that from these children, you would be saving them, that you would be bringing them into your kingdom. Lord, we ask you would work there. We ask that you would be with the Hope Explored course this week. We pray that you be with Jane and, and those ladies and ask your Holy Spirit would open up their hearts to see their need of a saviour, to see the damage that sin and wrongdoing has done with their relationship with you, Father God. And we pray the Holy Spirit would open their eyes, take away unbelief, and Lord, give them the gift of faith. We commit to you first steps, as that starts again this Thursday. Lord, we ask, as we see often that the parents come into our services, come into the, the, the children family services, they go on to the Hope Explored. The children come up into Sunday school. Lord, we don't want it to be just a transition from one group to another group as they move through the ages. Lord God, we ask that you would be working in their hearts. That your seed, your word would be sown in their hearts and that you would be drawing people from these groups to give you honour and glory and praise. We thank you that James and Rachel are able to be with us and we Commit the work to, in Cyprus to you, asking that you would be with the church in Cyprus. We pray that they would see fruit from their labours in your name. As they serve you, that they would see those turning to you from the students and from the Turkish Cypriots. That your kingdom would be growing in northern Cyprus as it is here in the UK. And we pray that round the world there will be those who are coming to know you and call you blessed. 
Father God, we, we commit John to you. We ask that you would help him as he brings your word to us. And as I said earlier, Lord, the events around Easter are so key in our lives. As we remember daily what you have done for us at the cross. Lord, if there is anyone here who does not know you, if there is anyone here who does not understand, we pray that you would open up their eyes. You'd take away the blindness, that you would give them a heart of flesh, that you'd remove a stony heart, a heart that's hard and won't listen. And we pray in all these things that you would be honoured and glorified. Amen. Well, for our, our next song, our next hymn, it's, it's actually a prayer. And as I, I look out, I can see younger, I can see older, I can see male, I can see female. And yet there is just really two groups that we all fall into. Whether we know Jesus as our saviour, or whether we don't. And whatever group you're in, I'm asking you if you'd be prepared to pray this song as we sing it. If you don't know Jesus, if the events around Easter, the events of the cross, you know, you don't understand why they would be important, why would anyone want to die? You know, ask that God would teach you what it meaneth. Okay? If you are a Christian, then there's always more to learn. You know, and pray that God would lead us to know his love more, that our love would be stronger to him and our praise would be greater as he teaches us what the cross meaning. Let's stand and sing.
Well, we're back in Luke. We're back for the climax of Jesus' time on earth. And uh, I feel a sense of privilege, really, as we come to chapters which look at the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. And that will be our privilege from now up until Easter as we do the last part of this Gospel of Luke, which we have been looking at, some of us, in the last couple of years. The cross is at the forefront of Christianity. If you're going by symbols, and it's probably the most common symbol to represent or point to Christianity. People, some people have chains around their necks with crosses on. On many churches there is a cross. Christian leaflets perhaps have a cross logo on them. And in a way it is strange. Because it is the way that Jesus died and it points to his execution. Have you thought about that? If somebody around their neck had a, a little model of an electric chair... Or if on somebody's building there was a statue of a guillotine. Or if somebody put a hangman's noose on their publicity. Well, you'd think that's quite strange. And yet, unashamedly, Christianity makes a lot of the death of Jesus. So that leads to the question we have this morning, which is, why did Jesus die? Why make so much of the cross? Why is it so significant? I don't know if you ever think about that question. Well, as we arrive at the early verses in Luke chapter 22, we get some answers to this question. I'm going to give you four answers this morning from these verses. Uh, They could be expanded. There's more here than I can go into this morning. You will see the answers develop as we go through and we'll spend a bit more on the latter ones than the earlier ones. But as we look at this passage and as we think of this question, why did Jesus die? One answer would be this first one, the religious leader's scheme. The religious leader's scheme. Their plan, their plotting. That's part of the answer. So, in Luke 22, verse 2, and the chief priests and the scribes, the religious leaders, were seeking how to put him to death, for they feared the people. Now, you might expect religious people to love Jesus, and some do. But with what Jesus stands for, and with what Jesus teaches... There are many in religious authority who do not always like Jesus. And here the religious bigwigs want to be rid of Jesus. It had been like that for some time. If we were to go back earlier into the accounts of Jesus' life, here I'm in Mark 3 and verse 6, we see the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. They wanted to get rid of Jesus. He exposed their hypocrisy. He, he threatened their influence. They felt their power base was sort of being disappeared or or taken away by Jesus. Matthew elsewhere tells us that uh, even Pilate knew that religious leaders were motivated by envy in the way in which they handled Jesus. 
And it's possible for us, even if we're religious, to find that actually Jesus provokes envy in our own hearts. He threatens our our way of life if we're to take him seriously. Our reputation, maybe, our standing, our selfish values are threatened by him. So we really push him out of the way so that he doesn't stop us from doing what we want. So they want to get rid of him. They want to get rid of him. But there there was a difficulty. They fear the people, we were told. Jesus was popular. And they, they don't want an uproar. And publicly arresting Jesus during feast time doesn't seem to be a good move. So they're not quite sure how to accomplish what they want as they scheme against Jesus. The religious leaders scheme against him. And that moves us on to our second answer as they think about how to do it. And this comes to this. A second answer as to why did Jesus die is his friend's betrayal. His friend's betrayal. Judas is, isn't he, a very sad character in the Bible and in history. He had a a special position. He was one of the twelve. In fact, most times when he's mentioned in the Bible, it carries on. He was one of the twelve, as though they're still astonished by the fact that he should go on to do what he did. It's here in verse 3, who was, was of the number of the twelve. He had special access to Jesus. He lived with Jesus. He heard the teaching of Jesus firsthand. He was an eyewitness to so many of the miracles which we read about in the Bible. And he saw all the details which we just imagine what happened because they're not written all down for us. Judas was in a a good position to help the religious leaders. He was an insider. He, He could help them to get at Jesus in a more private situation, a more suitable time. There's a Chinese lady, Christine Lee, who's been in the news this week. And it's suspected that she is a Chinese spy. And yet she's had close contact with British MPs. And there's alarm and concern that she should be gaining inside information and influence. Well, here the chief priests, the religious leaders are pleased to have their inside person, their informant. It is Judas, one of the twelve, a man from the inner circle. And Judas actually goes to them. They can't believe their good fortune as they see it. And Judas is responsible for treachery against Jesus. It filled the early Christians with horror to think of what Jesus, or Judas did to Jesus, given how close he was to him and what he had seen. A friend's betrayal. But we also learn here that Judas, although he is fully responsible for his actions, is working in liaison with an evil spiritual power. 
The devil, since the temptation of Jesus when he went away from there defeated, had been looking for an opportune time to seek to depose the Son of God who had come to earth. And he enters Judas to seek to accomplish his own desires. Well, whatever the deeper spiritual things going on inside Judas... One thing is clear at the forefront of his mind is money. The chief priests are willing to pay Judas for the information he could give and Judas is certainly willing to receive the money with the information that he would give. We learn elsewhere that this isn't the first time that Judas had not been trustworthy with money. He loses a sense of what is right and what he should do uh, when the shiny coins, if you like, are in front of him. So despite who Jesus is and what his teaching is and what his character is like, those things fade into the background when Judas is thinking of money and has the possibility of getting money. And we can sometimes put money before God, can't we? Money can lure us away from doing what we know is right and it can make us grasp what we know to be wrong. The shiny coins, if you like, haven't lost their lure. Their lure. So we wonder about following Jesus. But then our career or our business becomes all too consuming and we don't follow Jesus. Or we face a choice between unethical ways to make money or playing it straight and we ditch Christ for the sake of money. It's a new problem as well as an old problem. So the second reason is his friend's betrayal. I'll read verses 3 to 6 again as you see it come out. Then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, who was of the number of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him in the absence of a crowd. So these are some couple of the ground level reasons, if you like, of why Jesus died. And there'll be more ground level reasons. Pilate will be uh, sentencing Jesus. Soldiers will be executing Jesus. These are part of the explanation of why did Jesus die. But we often just look at the, the ground level things in our lives. These first two points are ground level things. We, we see what happens, we, we see the physical causes, we see the human side of things, we see the people involved. But there are often a, a bigger picture to the events that we go through. I remember seeing a, a, an advert many years ago, I think it was an advert for the Guardian newspaper, it was um, a TV advert, and what you saw in the advert is you saw an older frail lady, and then you saw a really rough looking young man, he looked a bit of a, a thug, and in the advert, this thug 
runs towards this lady and rugby tackles her to the ground. And you're shocked with what's happening, how vicious he is. And then you see it from a different camera angle. And you see a big builder's metre cube of bricks being lowered down to the ground, just going to come on top of this lady. And in fact, this thug had rescued her and saved her. You see it from a different perspective. And there are much bigger things going on here with what is happening to Jesus. And that's what we move on to as we come to the third of our reasons. Why did Jesus die? Yes, the religious leader's scheme. Yes, his friend's betrayal. But let's come to this. God's fulfilling plan. God's fulfilling plan. Something bigger is going on than the antics of Judas and the chief priests. And it comes out in several ways through this account. And if it's a bit new to you, you might have to stay with me through this, pick up what you can, but you'll be glad if you start to understand what the cross is really about. Now, Luke wants us to realise, he very much wants us to realise that it's Passover time. If you look at the chapter, if you've got it in front of you on your app or Bible's open, then you'll see that at the the start of the chapter, he reminds us of that. Verse 1, now the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew near, which is called the Passover. Then the day has come for the lamb to be prepared and the meal to be prepared. Verse 7, then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Then in verse 14, you get the hour at which they're to take the meal. Verse 14, and when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. The arrangements also get covered in some detail, don't they? Did you notice that as we read through? Jesus tells the disciples um, how they're going to be shown to uh, a room. You have in this description the upper room, perhaps one of the most famous rooms in history. It's been the subject of many paintings. And Jesus tells them how they're going to get to this room. They would bump into a man carrying a jar of water. Um, He would take them to a house. They had a special message to give to the owner of the house. They would be ushered upstairs to a large room where the preparations were to be made ready for the Passover meal. Jesus knows all the details ahead of time and the disciples then see them fulfilled as they carry it through. As if Jesus is saying, these are, these are, these are detailed plans I'm in control of and which are being fulfilled. A bit like the Passover itself. Things are being fulfilled here. They're under God's control. So what was this Passover? This Passover that Luke is uh, drawing attention to. Well, it was one of the Jewish festivals. It's why thousands of people, probably over a million of people, had descended to Jerusalem. 
and it was a feast that had been going for about 1,500 years by the Jewish people. It remembered the great escape of the Old Testament, the great escape of the Old Testament. The Israelites had been treated badly as slaves in the nation of Egypt, and they were delivered in a very strange way. A lamb was sacrificed, and the lamb's blood was sprinkled on the doorposts of the house that they were in. When the angel of death came through the land of Egypt, those who were behind red stained doors were safe, whereas others experienced tremendous sadness. And then the Israelites were able to get up and to flee, to, to leave the land of Egypt, to start their life, life as a nation and to head to the promised land. That was the Passover. The angel of death passed over those inside and it was something to be remembered on the night and in subsequent years and they did so by having roast Passover lamb as a meal to remember the lamb which had been sacrificed so that they could be spared the judgment of God. It was a meal had with with lambs, there was lamb, there was other things as well, there were bitter herbs, um, there were cups of wine, there was unleavened bread. Um, it was a special feature each year for the Jews. Um, there was a certain pattern to follow and uh, uh, the youngest the child in the house would ask certain questions to get the whole family to recount what had happened. The Passover meal is at this time. And the whole Passover business was pointing to Jesus who was to be the lamb to die to deliver others. It says later on in the Bible, Christ, our Passover lamb, was sacrificed for us. And this is why Jesus was so looking forward to having this meal with his disciples, even though it was on the eve of his death. Let's look at verses 14 to 16. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. So he knows that the Passover, this big festival all through those centuries, was being fulfilled in him. That the beginning of the fulfilment of what this pointed to had started now. And that's why his meal with the disciples the night before he died was so special. The Passover plan was being fulfilled. He also tells them, see if you can get hold of this too, that... uh, a new covenant is being brought in. To put it quite simply in a way, that is a new deal with God. That is a new deal with God. If you like, we fail to match up to the, to our part of the old deal with God, the old covenant. 
And God had said that he would bring in a, a new covenant, a new deal with humanity. Hundreds of years before, Jeremiah, one of God's prophets in the Old Testament, had mentioned this. It's in Jeremiah 31, 31. It carries on for a few verses, but I'll just dip into the first verse when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And in this new covenant, this new deal with people, there would be changed hearts. The box on the outside, if you like, would go into the heart and people would have God's commandments in their hearts. It would be an era of knowing God personally. It would be an era where forgiveness was obtained so that people's guilt could be taken away and washed away. And notice then the significance of what happens later on in this Passover meal in verse 20 where Jesus says, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And as Jesus with his disciples takes this Passover meal, Jesus refocuses, realigns, revises, could you say, the Passover to focus on his death that it was pointing to. And from that point onwards, the meal would be changed. And it wouldn't be the Passover meal, if you like. It would have a a special new emphasis. The Christians did carry on taking the Passover for some years afterwards, but there would be a new meal with a new focus, and it was the Lord's Supper, it was communion, it was the Eucharist as some call it. Because the new covenant was here, which focused on the death of Jesus, where forgiveness was obtained. So we have then in verses 17 to 20, the Passover meal with its different cups and breads now having what been is the, the institution, as it's often called, of start, the beginning of the Lord's Supper. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So, God's fulfilling plan, you see. It will be rounded off um, very clearly in verse 22 when Jesus says, For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, planned, already in place, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. So the cross is no accident. It wasn't just bad priests and a treacherous friend. It wasn't a case of everything going wrong. 
There was a bigger plan being carried out by God, planned for centuries. The fulfilment of the Passover, the bringing in of the new covenant to be remembered by this meal. One writer, older writer, put it like this. I think this is quite good, actually. Winslow, his name is. He poses a question similar to what we're thinking of this morning. Who delivered up Jesus to die? Not Judas for money. Not Pilate for fear. Not the Jews for envy. But the Father for love. But the Father for love. So you might say, well, okay, I'm... I'm I'm getting this now, I'm starting to understand what's being said, Uh, but how does this affect the likes of you and me? How does this affect people like us? And we come to our last point. Why did Jesus die? Our rescue, to secure our rescue. Jesus makes clear that what he is doing is for them, They need him to do this. This isn't just history and procedure and mere symbols. The cross is what Jesus was doing for others, for the likes of you and me. The cross is so relevant to us. The New Deal involves God sacrificing his son instead of us. Jesus paying the price... Jesus being slaughtered and taking on him the guilt of others and the shame of others and the failure of others and the sin of others. So when he distributes the bread, a symbol of his body, he says this in verse 19. This is my body which is given for you. And When he gets them to drink the wine, a deep red colour, symbolising his blood in verse 20, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. For you, or on behalf of you, or instead of you. So Jesus' wounds, his death, deal with the guilt and the shame that others have. Now, you imagine if we take our Guardian advert illustration just a little bit uh, differently. You imagine that the young man pushed the older person out of the way, but the way it happened, he could not get himself out of the line of what was being lowered. So he pushed the lady out of the way, but the bricks were to come on him. Her life is spared, but his life is lost. And that's really what Jesus has done on the cross. He takes on himself the judgment, the curse, the penalty of sin for others so that they go free, they're rescued, they're saved. It is the great escape, it is the great deliverance. He was sacrificed himself, himself for people like us for the likes of you and me. And so you may want then to say, well, how do I know it was for me? Well, if you turn to Jesus in repentance, 
if you trust him as your saviour, it was for you. If you repent and believe, then you are covered by this. You are pushed aside and Jesus has borne it instead of you. If you haven't, then you need to turn to Jesus in repentance. You need to trust in him as your saviour. And then it could be said of you, as the Bible says, Christ died for you. And you can say the verse which had been earlier on the PowerPoint as we arrive in, he loved me and gave himself for me. I'm rescued and saved by his death. So you see how relevant it is this morning, how personal. This is God's way of salvation. If your problem is guilt and shame and failure and concerned about answering to God at the end of your life and the consequences of that, then the answer is here, what we're looking at this morning, the cross of Christ. And you need to turn to the Saviour and trust in him to enjoy the wonderful thought of being spared and escaped by God's wonderful plan of salvation. Jesus delivered by the Father for love. And if if that's happened and it's true for you and your trust is in him, then you will want to remember what he has done. And one of the great ways to remember what Jesus has done is to take the Lord's Supper. And Jesus says here, do this in remembrance of me. This is an ongoing pattern for his disciples. And I think in one of the other accounts it comes out through twice. Do this in remembrance of me. Grateful hearts are to remember Christ and to take the Lord's Supper. Have you ever taken the Lord's Supper? A believer should be baptised. That's one of the ordinances, as we call it in the Bible. And a believer should be taking the Lord's Supper. And when we do, it is a, a privilege for us to be pointed to Christ, to look back at what he's done for us, And it will be a chance and an opportunity to remember him in the way he commands and to remember why Jesus died. And to think of our rescue as well as the other reasons we've looked at this morning. Well, I hope you're a bit clearer or refreshed in your mind about why Jesus died. And for our last hymn, uh, when we were singing that second hymn, if I can make a little bit of a change here, sorry to throw a googly at some of you, but that second hymn just seemed to summarise so much of what I was going to talk about that I thought it would be good to end on it again. So can we do the second one again, John, and upstairs? Let's say that man of sorrows. If you, you might sing it through differently now. So much of what we've covered this morning is covered by this song. So it would be good to sing this again to finish. Man of sorrows, Lamb of God, by his own betrayed. Thank you.
Lord, we pray that you would help us to grasp your purposes in Jesus' coming into this world. And we pray that you would help us to understand in a personal way by faith, knowing that he has died instead of us. May hearing the good news of Jesus this morning bring life into people's lives, we pray. We ask these things in his name. Amen.